This is TDPS. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring. It's available wherever eBooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Okay, we're going to do a test run of recording random things on my phone because Eric Shawquin promised our podcast listeners that we would be recording stuff on our trip and we haven't done a single damn thing. Such a pain in the ass. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. <laughs> I'm Eric Shawquan. <laughs> and you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric, and I am still a pain in the ass. With Jet Lag, brought to you by Jet Lag. And, uh, yeah, whatever the hell is... Why is daylight savings time still a thing, goddammit? <laughs> Didn't Wait. Congress vote this out? I thought so, too. Like, I wasn't fucked up enough when I got back. You also had to screw with the clock. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> we had no time. We did not know what time we, we were in. We still don't know what time we're in. It has been really one of the most... I think I may never readjust. I may just be a complete wreck for the rest <laughs> now, of my life. Now, don't make me say it again. I've said it a million times. This is what I've heard. For every hour of change, you need at least a day to adjust. Isn't that how long it takes you to get over a breakup? I, <laughs> <laughs> If you're breaking up with time... <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Breaking up with time. Yeah, I think time and I are done with each other. I just really cannot seem to get back on any kind of realistic schedule. I just... Well, what happened now? I've been I've been following this all week, riveted, as I always am, by your sleep patterns. Yeah, it really is so fascinating. I'm usually, I'm the guy who's good to go. Like, I can sleep through anything. I'm going to sleep is really sort of a choice. I'm really, and I'm not having any difficulty going to sleep. That's, that is <laughs> At all times. Anytime. Doesn't fact, matter what time of the day. If, if the podcast suddenly goes silent, Christopher and I may just be asleep because <laughs> that's been happening. There were moments when we would be like, oh, when we were on, on vacation where we would be sitting and waiting for room service to get right. there and we would just fall asleep sitting there in chairs in the room. Like, right. just, facing each other just mm-hmm. anyway so yeah that's that's still the problem but what's happening is like at last night it was I'm gonna say 430 I'm gonna go with 430 in the morning I was just and now I'm awake right and that's it and there's no going back to sleep you're fully awake it's it's on you've had enough sleep and I may have had enough sleep because that also includes not only does it include going to bed at like midnight but it also includes Falling asleep repeatedly mm. prior to that, like on the sofa, trying to watch television, trying to, you know, do regular life stuff. So I may have had six, seven, eight hours sleep right. collectively, and that may be what my body is signaling me, And I, but whatever. You have turned into the inverse of me. See, I'm the one who will have trouble falling asleep and get very frustrated and upset about it and feel powerless about it. But when we got back and you couldn't stop waking up at 4 and 5 in the morning, you would text me and be like, what is this? What's wrong? What's going on? Why am I awake? <laughs> and I was like, "It's sort of, we went to bed at 7 o'clock. That's why. Yeah. It is just really never, it has really never settled in. And the other thing that's also, I think, part of it is, we're kind of exhausted. Yes, like, we are. We had a great vacation, but it was there was no lying by the pool drinking no. pina coladas. It wasn't Mm-mm. that kind of vacation. No. We would walk five, eight hours a day on our feet walking, look, seeing amazing stuff. I mean, I'm not complaining at right. all, but 
we were on it. We wore out walking guides. You know what I mean? Like we were up and about. Well, I'll, I'll go over this in in broad strokes because a lot of our party people on the Facebook page have asked us detailed questions about what we got up to and what we did. But we did some. We landed in London and did the day after we landed. We did some really aggressive touring, like guided touring. We went out to Windsor on day one. Yeah. We then did a... Which was eight hours on our feet walking. Eight hours on our feet walking. Then the following day was... we didn't actually drive to... We drove to Eaton and walked to Windsor Windsor. from Eaton. And then the next day was a seven-hour tour of London, the sights of London. Which was great. It's great. It's great. But like you said, as we were doing this, I was like... This is not a stroll along the Cornish coast that we're about to do. This is an it intense— was, It was really—we were yeah. up and about and looking at stuff, and we saw amazing stuff, and we went everywhere, and I'm not sorry, and I would have done more if there had been more minutes to do it in. But yeah. part of, I think, our being tired is we really—like, I was astonished. One of my favorite parts of the trip, aside from, you know, the obvious, the, the stuff that's more relevant, was that I— did not uh, our only diet on the trip was that we weren't doing a diet. That's correct. Um, that was the diet, the official trip diet, and I gained two pounds. Yeah, and I think it's because we were hoofing it. Yeah, we were getting plenty of exercise, and I think I was burning off what I was eating. I, I don't know that I just was, you know, snorting cream pastries off the coffee table. You or anything. were, you were snorting I, cream okay, pastries well, off kind the coffee of, table. I have footage of you at high tea at the Ritz in London, and you were you were helping ugly. yourself. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. ugly. Um, but you I know. didn't say it was ugly. I just said you were helping yourself. It's a, it was a, a liberated man. I was. I was eating whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was happening, but it was not having, it did not have the, you know, the expected outcome. I was right. like, I was thinking, okay, here we go. What's the bad news? And I got on the scales and I went, two pounds. <laughs> well, we both decided we needed a vacation. We hadn't had one in a long time. It's been a pretty busy, packed, and emotional few years here at, at the world of Christopher and Eric. But we're just, we were salivating to get to London. I had never been to London <sighs> not drunk, so I wanted to go not completely wasted. When I was a young person, I went, and I don't really remember being there. But actually, that's, I think, how most of the people who are, <laughs> it live did in look London like that. experience it, London. It looked like um, that. So I don't know that, that you probably fit right in. But, uh, yeah, I remember when I used to live there, it would be like 7.15, and there would be people passed out on the two right. plant platform, and I'd be like, really? Like, wow. But the point, I, the point I was trying to make is we weren't going to go there and just sit. It was like no. we were too—all we watch is British television. We had this huge appetite to see everything that we I, could. So I just love During the, the pandemic, I watched every documentary about the House of Windsor that I could. I wanted to see all the royal stuff, all that sort of stuff. So we were going to go, 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 and then we went to other cities, which I think was the boldest choice we made. We kept going. We went to Amsterdam— Right. And then we went to Heidelberg. We got a lot of questions about Heidelberg on the page. Well, it was because... just an astonishing part of the trip, and we'll, I guess, get to that when we get yeah. to those questions. But, yeah, it was really – it was it was a lot. So I think some of our exhaustion, some of our sleepiness getting home is just generally – like I've actually gained two pounds since I got home, yeah. and I've been on a diet. Yes, but you've been still for the first but time But I have in not weeks. been going 100 miles an hour all day every I day. I had so. the—my bad jet lag was on the way over. I have a I have a harder time in that direction than coming back. Like, you know, so I was having trouble getting to sleep, and then I would want to be fresh for everything we were doing. And, and so I would be better. up and anxious about it and all that sort of stuff. I think I slept better than you going over. That's I just cr- really— You mean on the plane? Time. Yeah. Yeah. They, they actually—they do this—they actually had to ask Christopher to wake me up. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were they they couldn't wake you up, but the the time difference and the flight time from the west coast to Europe is considerable. It's about a ten or eleven hour flight. Yeah, and then the time change was seven to eight hours. I think London was seven hours or eight hours. It like sounds like we're, I'm complaining about our trip, and I don't want to complain about our trip. But it's part of the experience. It's part of being a world traveler. Back in the old days, when you were taking a puttering little boat, you didn't have to worry about time changes because it took you forever to pass through each time zone. There were no time zones, right? Didn't they invent time zones for railroads? I think so, so yeah. they could stop running into each other. <laughs> like, oh, we can't use that track because they're going to be on it at this time. No. Prior to that, they didn't know, and so they were let's try this track. Bam! Yes, exactly. So, yeah, they had to, I think, just... So they could quit building extra railroad cars and 
train engines um, because they kept running into each other. Um, so Amy Bellino wants to know if I did any driving while we were there. No. Oh, my no. God. Oh, my God, no. Well, for starters, in one of the countries, I don't know how to drive on their side of the road, which is the United Kingdom. Uh, Amsterdam and Germany both drive on this side of the road, the American side of the road, or the right side of the road. Um, but the German freeway system, we were, we were driven over the border from the Netherlands to Germany, and it was like the G-forces pushed us back in our okay. seats. So here's the story. Yeah. We thought it would be colorful Mm-mm. to take a train from London You're to gonna Amsterdam. You're going to go there. You're going to tell the story. And okay. it was, it was, I really think they need to step up their game because mm-hmm. I think it could have been and it was not. It was really, like, I was, I was, it was probably the most disappointing part of the whole trip. Yes, right. Like, I don't know that I was expecting the Orient Express or anything. No. But we would paid for high-end travel, you know, mm-hmm. the best that was available, and we would have paid more for better. Yeah. Um, but there was really, like, if that was the best they had to offer, then they really aren't trying at all. They really weren't trying. And I was coming from the United States, or we both were, I mean, psychologically, with, like, we have this shitty subpar train system that everybody complains about. High-speed rail is a real problem here. Nobody's building it. I thought they'll have us beat. This is a collaborative effort between the European Union and the United Kingdom. This is the train line that goes to Paris from London. It goes to Amsterdam and Brussels, which is what we were taking. It'll really be this slick operation. And instead... The immigration process on the London side was like a cattle call nightmare. It was you know, hideous. The access to the platform was limited, and they didn't have enough elevators for there people was who were disabled. Sophie's Choice elevator yeah. system. If you had a bunch of luggage, there was somebody who would decide whether or not you were worthy yeah. to take the elevator to the platform where the train was. We finally just gave up on it and struggled onto. It was a rolling platform, yeah. so it didn't end up being too bad. Although it was like being fired out of a cannon at the bottom because I had. All of the weight of all of my luggage project me off the end of the conveyor belt. Unfortunately, I didn't hit anybody or fall, but it was exciting. And like when we got to the train station at the terminus, they just announced, they said, okay, watch out. The slips, the steps get slippery in the snow. Yeah. Like we had all of this luggage that we were traveling with and it wasn't even set up to accommodate people with luggage on the train platform. Like, right. That's what I mean about they just need to step up their game. I, you know, I don't need to be carried on a sedan chair. I prefer Although it. Although you do prefer that. Yeah, I yes. do actually prefer being carried on a sedan chair. But I'm, you know, I'm game. I'm a good sport. We can try. I, I just need an elevator. That's all. I, I need we need an elevator. I need to make an effort. Like, yeah. I need for there to be a place to put my bags when I get on the train and somebody who knows where that is to I, be on the I train. I went American on the train guy. I hauled my giant suitcase. The handle broke as I was hauling it on. And I said, where do I put this? And he said, you're going to have to put it over your seat, which was absurd. It was never going to fit over my seat. And I just said to him, that won't do. And he was like, oh, okay, okay, it's a scary American. Okay. So he point, sure enough, he found some place where the bag could go. But it was like, and yeah. And then we walked to our seats, and right next to our seats was a huge, empty luggage rack where right. we could have put our luggage without any difficulty whatsoever. And there was nobody to tell us that. Like, those are little things that could have been the seats could have reclined a little bit. At Wouldn't all. Wouldn't have minded that. They didn't recline at all. Yeah. The tea could have been actual tea as yeah. opposed to tea colored water. Yeah. Um, you know, there could have been, or it could have been that I got up and put got a tea bag and put hot water in the cup myself. I could have done that. Sure, absolutely, like a self-serve yeah, station. Yeah, it would yeah, not it have terrible. been, there just wasn't any effort made. The it whole point the of this. least possibility, screaming children, it was just. The whole yeah. point of this was is to encourage people not to clog the airports, right? That's how everybody talks about rail here. We need rail systems because the airports are overcrowded. But if you don't give anybody an incentive, and if there's no advantage, if it's if as it's bad an experience yeah. as going to a crowded airport on a Friday afternoon, because that's what we were doing, it was Friday. I think that was part of it. If, if if nothing about your experience is better, I don't see what's the point of laying all that track. I mean, it's environmentally friendly, but you're not going to get any riders. And we stopped in, I don't know, 15 cities in Europe. So yeah. it was high speed, but only for like 150 feet at a time. Yeah, right. Um, so it was, you know, it was longer. And then we arrived in a snowstorm. A snowstorm at a train station that had no walls and was on the North Sea Channel. 
So I thought it was our little California. We'll talk about said, this later in I'm the show. I'm going out but, there to find our, what you call it, yeah. and I thought, I may never see him again. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe me and the luggage trying, you know, I'm going to have to raise this luggage to adulthood right. by myself. It was really, it was the, it was a rather tumultuous end. To, and then we were in Amsterdam and it was glorious. You know, like, that's the thing with it. It was, it was a tiny little thing. And I was just disappointed. I wish they would do a better job because... They could, yeah, it, without much effort. I just think they could, and I hope that we do as we begin to put in high-speed rail in this country. I hope that we make more of an effort to make it a more pleasant experience. I mean, why not? I, I don't understand why they haven't redesigned TSA checkpoints at all airports. Like, mm -hmm. we're still acting as though it's temporary. They're still using gate-leg catering tables and plastic um, table bus bins. You know what I mean? Like, right. Why don't we make those lovely? Why don't why aren't there benches where everybody can sit on a padded bench and mm -hmm. wait for somebody to come by and right. look at their stuff or the benches move or you get up from the bench and move to a different bench or something more pleasant than that hideous steerage experience that we're all suggested, subjected to? 9-11 was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We haven't done anything to improve the quality of TSA checkpoints anywhere in the world in however, 20 years, mm -hmm. 22 years, 23 years. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. The the only thing that, it, that can constitute a slight improvement, depending on where you're going, is how central they are. I, like, I have a better experience at the ones where it's divided up, it's in a, based on the architecture of the airport. But in cities like hotel uh, airports, excuse me, like Denver, where everybody is processing through a central security, or they were at one point. It's been a while since I've been to Denver. I'm like, first of all, this is a nightmare. Second of all, this is an enormous target. You're putting everybody in one central location that's before security? So somebody could come up who doesn't have a boarding pass? I remember looking at those and just thinking, well, that's ridiculous. But I think... Some of it is there aren't any centralized decisions being made along the lines of what you're describing. Right. How can we make this better for it's passengers? It's about redesigning the entire process. Yeah. I, I think passengers need to be better sports about it, but I think we need to do a better job of accommodating passengers for travel everywhere. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. <laughs> Okay, we're going to do a test run of recording random things on my phone because Eric Shawquin promised our podcast listeners that we would be recording stuff on our trip and we haven't done a single I damn thing. such a pain in the ass. You really are. Okay, hold on. I'm going to hold the phone up to you. You're going to talk now. About what? This is the only time you've ever been at a loss for words. I don't know what to say. I'm at a loss for words now. Talk about what you're doing right now. Hi. Welcome to Amsterdam. We're in my um, junior suite at the uh, my parlor suite. It's important that everybody know what category of suite you're in. <laughs> I'm just trying to give people the picture. There's like a sitting room and and, uh, and a bedroom, and you saw, probably saw the picture. The if bells you didn't, are ringing. We've got act. I'm gonna go get the bells out the window. Watch, I'm gonna drop my phone out the window. Well, naturally, they quit as soon as I got to the window. This is I want my money back for the bells. Okay, finish telling the story well, that I thank interrupted. God, thank God you didn't drop your phone out the window, but you could still hear the bells. There's that tower right outside, and if you've seen, if you haven't seen, go to my Facebook page, and I posted a picture of the snow and the because we we're overlooking our balconies on our rooms. Christopher's room is directly above mine, so that he can be better than me and better. I can see me coming because I'm a safe distance away. Um, but you can see the bell tower that you were just hearing, and the the snow and there's a 
I don't know what they call them here, but a boat going down the canal that runs outside. <laughs> well, like in Venice, they're called vaporazures or something, right. so I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, so we just got back from seeing the Van Gogh exhibit at the Van Gogh Museum. So I don't know if it's really the Van it's Gogh. It's a permanent exhibit at the yeah, Van Gogh Museum. It is just right. an exhibit. Yeah, the Vermeer exhibit is here, but we realized it too late to Get book tickets. tickets, so... We just made faces at the people who got to go and went to the rest of that museum yesterday. Anyway, so the whole time I was at the Van Gogh Museum, I started remembering the music from the soundtrack from this movie called The Moderns, which if you haven't heard, I totally recommend to you. But I have to say, I hope you have a cassette player because Mm. I'm really old and so is this movie and so is the soundtrack and that's the only place it's available. So I'm trying to find Parlez-moi d'amour. Um, so I can at least hear that. Eric Shaw Quinn, what has been your favorite thing on the trip so far? Let's see what Lucien Boyer sounds like singing Parlez-moi while I tell you about my... Oh, we can't do that because then we'll have to pay Lucien (laughs) royalties. So we won't do that. Oh, no, stop. Stop, Lucien. No, 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 Lucien. You're under a minute and 20 seconds. I think we just made it under the wire. Sorry, what was my favorite thing? Your favorite part of the trip so far. Golly, well, you know, my favorite part of the trip is I get to hang out with my best friend, um, and everything else is just an excuse to do that. God, we've had some really fun experiences walking to the British Museum in the snowstorm or arriving on the train. It wasn't snowing when we went to the British Museum. It was just raining horizontally. There was snow as well, but it wasn't big. It was just flaky um yeah but it was really intense rain and a lot of wind and we were hideously lost because the streets in london are sadistically arranged yeah um the street we were on literally changed names and then one block later the street we needed to turn on was a different name than it would be in a block and that was the name we needed to know to turn on it so we walked right past it welcome to london welcome to london now get out. Right. No, they're actually quite lovely, but it's very hard to find your way around. Um, anyway, so that was fun. The adventure of arriving arriving in Amsterdam on the train was I, like a scene out of Dr. Zhivago. It was pretty amazing. It was also a little horrifying and a little terrifying because yeah. there was a big snowstorm happening. Big. We, we and are there little. Were, California thin-skinned bodies had never been in snow like and that. And there were no doors on the train station, mm. so this incredibly freezing cold tunnel of wind and snow blowing in. We didn't know where our driver was. We didn't know where to go. It was very exciting. And we had a lot of luggage. There's an aspect of that story which is, doesn't reflect Nessa's. It's not like we you know, drove all night to get there. No, <laughs> no we did not. Yeah. We rode on a train for a considerable period of time and in, I'm going to say, a considerable amount of discomfort. Right. And just leave it at that. Absolutely. Ask if you want to know more. Right. Um, But yeah, hmm, that was... Trains are not good if you've been traveling for a long time and you have a lot of luggage. You have a lot of luggage. It was very... And Eric Shaw Quinn has a lot of luggage. And there's nobody to help you or even act like they're going to help you on the trains. They're very egalitarian on the... The uh, Eurostar line. It, that fancy name belies. Yeah. yeah. Maggie Smith is not toddling down the aisle with a porter mm. balancing her steamer trunk on her head. Anyway, so those were great, but I'm trying to think there was, there have been a couple of moments where it's just like, oh, this is perfect. Like getting, after all of that, getting to the room and ordering croque monsieur and mm-hmm. cream of tomato soup and right. French fries and just having comfort food and being in the snow and being safe inside. That was yeah, the snow was beautiful film. once we could watch it out the windows. Yeah, it was great, and we took pictures of it and posted it on our website, so you can see it there. Okay, that's enough. And we never recorded Not anything a thing. else. That Not was a really it, thing. because we're so for shit producers. But we, we were on vacation. Like, that was, we were enjoying ourselves. And we've still got plenty of stories. But <laughs> Fuck never, you, party people. We were enjoying ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we never, but we never really did. We did, we we um... We also, Christopher did also manage to record um, mm-hmm. the, the bells from the tower that he was trying to in that segment. He later got a longer recording um, from the Carillon. Right. right across from our hotel was... The Mint Tower, it was the, called. It was part of the original wall of the of yes. Amsterdam from like the 15th century or something. It was a long, it was from a long time ago. 
a lot of it is burned down. The city had apparently burned a couple of times. And right. This was all that remained, and they made it into this clock tower. It's very eccentric. I could never tell. Like, you could see the clock and right. tell what time it was, but the chiming didn't necessarily match up with with what time it was. But anyway, Christopher managed to record um, a lot of the carol on beautiful. Yeah, it was a busy square. The hotel is right at where the Amstel River meets the Signal Canal. And so there was a light rail system that came by. And so you can hear all of it in the clip we're going to play later. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll play a little bit of that at the beginning of the third act. So they built it at the end. I just found that we found this. They built it in the year 1480. And it was part, there were two towers that were part of a guardhouse and a big gate. And then all of that went up in flames, as you said, in the 1618 fire. And only the guardhouse and part of the Western Tower remain standing. So I assume the Western Tower is what was across from our hotel i guess yeah but it Um, was beautiful and it was and we have some recording but that's really it the rest of it you're just gonna have to take our word for it because we didn't really record anything so going to our party people's questions uh lynette simonson says my question is have you been before and if so what has changed and what has stayed the same you lived in london for a period of several months lived in london and London is a really vibrant place, and it's always on the go, so things change all the time. It's like New York. Right. It's like I always, my joke is always, this will be a great place when they finally finish building it, because they never do. There's always an ongoing kind of um, change in development. Um, so London was very much the London I remembered, and there was new stuff, because it's always, everything is always under construction all the time. But Talk about the umbrella store. Oh, my God. (laughs) Tell the umbrella store story. I love. There is an umbrella. John Smith, I think, is the name of it. Yes, absolutely. It's the oldest umbrella store in the world. Maybe it's the oldest store in England. I don't know. It's been there for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I bought an umbrella there when I lived there at the turn of the century, which is a really fun thing to get to be able to say. The turn of the 21st century is mm. what he means. <laughs> yeah. But it was there at the turn of, I think, several other centuries. <laughs> so maybe that's what I mean. Um, anyway. Several turns right. with Eric Shaw Quinn. He's right. been through all of them. Do everything turn, turn. Um, anyway. Um, so I lost the umbrella, like, just recently. I think it was taken by somebody, but I can't a, prove there's that. There's a story. Yeah, and we I, are not so going not, into it for legal reasons. I don't want to tell the story because yes. I don't want to accuse anybody of taking my umbrella and not bringing it back because mm-hmm. I loaned it to them, but I will not be loaning anybody else. So, um, yeah, I had that umbrella. I had bought a new umbrella, and then I had an old umbrella that attacked me at the British Museum and injured me kind of severely. It was yes. It was an ugly incident um, because I'd had to give my umbrella to Christopher because he needed an umbrella too because it was that day where we walked in the snow. Horizontal rain and yeah. sleet. It yes, was it just was terrible. really. It was quite the. Um, but the advance. The th- the reason you loved this umbrella, and I promise this is not an umbrella podcast now, but it could be popular probably. It could happen if it was. Was that it? it you didn't. It opened with the press of a button. You didn't have to like push it open. Was that? And it, it closes with the press that's of a button. It. That's that's it. the thing. They're, they're Plenty of umbrellas that open with the breast of a button, but they close with the breast of a button. And the great, the really astonishing part of the story was I discovered on this trip that the umbrella I had bought was not actually a John Smith product. They actually, it's a German-made umbrella, and they don't actually make the ones. But the thing that's really great about them is they're terrific in London, but they're amazing here because— L.A. is all about cars. Right. And so when you get to the car, you can get in with your umbrella still outside and push the button and Mm. the umbrella closes and then you can whisk it inside the car and close the door. Otherwise, you have to stand outside the car in the rain and close your umbrella and then get in the car, which kind of defeats the point of having had an umbrella in the first place. So then you're drenched anyway. So we were walking I, we ha- I had an interview or something I had to do. We were on a time schedule, and we were walking past this intersection, and Eric goes, there's my umbrella store. And I had to be grumpy dad and be like, we can't go right now. We have to go tomorrow. I got to get back to the hotel, or I can go, or I can leave you here. And he's like, I want to go with you. I don't want to go to the umbrella store alone. So we made an appointment with ourselves to return to, what was it, off Charing Cross Road? It was over there in that. Close to coming. It was Garden. on Great Russell Street. Great wasn't Russell it? Street. Great Russell Street. I, I love. They're all great streets in London. It's, everything's great. 
Right? Um, it's a great place. And then we met your boyfriend who works there. Who well, said that's not true. But he would he, come to London. Or he would come to LA to replace the umbrella. Yes, he said he if would we bring flew him. him. We'd have to get a seat for the umbrella, <laughs> like a, like you do a dog, right? That's how good this umbrella is, folks. So anyway, it's a really great umbrella. Um, but they do have an online site as well. Yes, it's on. Oh, it's on New Oxford. New Oxford Street. Yes, absolutely. I think. Um. Rhonda Reeves wants to know, what was the most unexpected experience of your trip? Okay, this is the this is the big answer. This is going to answer a lot of different questions all at the same time. Yes. Christopher did this really amazing thing when he put the, <laughs> when he put the trip together. Right. I I don't know why I didn't just immediately get it. One of the we've we've tried on several different trips to Europe to go to a little town in Germany called Heidelberg, which is where I was born. Mm -hmm. We left when I was a very young person, um, probably less than a year old or a year old, right. but young. So I have no actual memory of the place, but it's where I was born. I have a German birth certificate. There was it, it's where I started out. Mm -hmm. It was the you know start here. Um, collect $200 um, kind right. of place in my life. And so I've always wanted to see it. And Christopher figured out the trip so that we would be in Heidelberg, the town where I was born, on my birthday. So it was it was a great idea. It was a bucket list kind of thing to do. We've asked questions about that with you guys before. So it was already kind of a bucket list thing to do. But Despite the fact that I was born there, I didn't have any experience of being there. Mm -hmm. It was completely like I didn't I had no idea what to expect. It wasn't like I was going to it was not going to be a stroll down memory lane. It was going to be entirely new and yet this very significant place in my life. So that was kind of weird. And I had no idea what to expect and felt a little odd about it. You know, to talk about that some more because, like, you were feeling like we talked about it the night before, and you were like, I feel like I should have this experience, but I don't know what it should be. Like, because I have no, me like you were saying, I have it was no like memory. I had expectations right. of myself or something that I should have a bigger response to going to this place that I've never been. Mm -hmm. And, like, you don't really do that to yourself if you're going on tour, you go to see the place, and maybe it'll be impressive, and maybe it won't, but you don't necessarily have this expectation of how you're supposed to react to it. But because I was going to this place that I'd never been, that was kind of significant, I felt like I should. And so it was weird. Mm -hmm. And then and then we began that part by going to a little town. It's actually a bigger town than Heidelberg. I thought it was right. a small town. I thought it was a suburb called Mannheim, which is where my parents' apartment was at the time I was born. Mm -hmm. Apparently they were living there on the army base that was there and had to go into Heidelberg to the university hospital there right. because that was a good place for me to be born. Um, and it was not far away. It really wasn't. It was very close. And that army base is closed. And But I found the, the address. My sister found the address. You went on Google Maps and found the most terrifying series of images because it looked like everything was either, um, you know, completely abandoned and ruined or under construction. And I was considering that we might just drive down the street and not get out of the right. car. I mean, it was <laughs> so like— we could not tell where we were I going. I do not know how this is going to play out. Like, mm -hmm. Germany didn't seem all that dodgy, but this seemed like if there was a dodgy place in Germany, it was going to yeah. be this. And it was really just a, an enormous construction site like yes the apparently because it, the the american base is closed and they've sold it or something and so the entire property is under construction right all these new housing developments are going in there and there's some there, university there, there is something. an economics university and i couldn't tell if i wasn't understanding the driver correctly but that either it is owned by merrill lynch or a lot of merrill lynch employees are sent there before they go to work for merrill lynch something like that like it's one of their master's anyway, programs or something so there was really nothing there yeah like, that was all there was one church that I was like, is this church older than me or not? Right. Like, that was the only thing. So we took a picture and sent it to back home to see if mom well, and dad You had the street, you, George Washington Strasse. But it was the street. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that, that was it? actually there. Yeah, George Washington Strasse, I think, yeah. is, um, was the street where we lived. I have often walked. <laughs> anyway, um, so that was kind of weird. And then we went to the university at, the, at Heidelberg to 
where the hospital was and like, okay, maybe somewhere here I was born or not. It was whatever. And then we went to the town hall in the center of Heidelberg. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? That was just some of the ambient city sounds of Amsterdam that we played for you. I recorded that on the balcony of our hotel room or one of our hotel rooms. And that was the bells playing in the Mint Tower, which is where the Amstel River meets the Signal Canal. And now we're back to talking about Heidelberg, which right. is where we went at the end of our trip. We went to the Rathaus there, and that, this I guess, is in that the town the city square, home, which is where yeah. my birth certificate was registered. And right. So, and then after that, like everything was just us being tourists. And we started looking around at this, I mean, astonishing. Astonishing. One of the most beautiful places I've ever, I mean, on par with Venice. Like it yeah. was just stunning. River through the middle of the city. We went and had a lovely little lunch at this. It was your birthday. Angel. We went on your birthday. And Christopher right. had arranged for somebody to bring out an apple strudel with a. Uh, a sparkler in it, which yeah. was fun, and and then we went, um, we went walking around and walked up to this thing called the Heidelberg Schloss, which mm -hmm. is the Heidelberg Castle that's kind of a ruin over right. the city, and it was just, it was completely breathtaking. I've never seen, I've rarely in my life, almost never seen anything as beautiful, and it was like something out of a romantic fantasy, like mm -hmm. I. You could see films being shot there or whatever. It was just amazing. And so, and it was completely, as you originally asked, I know this is a long answer, but like I said, this is going to answer a number of questions. It is, because um, people ask specifically about Heidelberg after they saw our pictures. It it was the most unexpected thing. Like right. Heidelberg was, I, we, neither of us, I don't think, thought it was, like it was going to be something to see, but it really was the high point of the trip. It was really just the most amazing thing I saw the entire time I was there, which doesn't take a pen away from any of the other no. Windsor Castle or Westminster Abbey or um, the Tower of London or any of the other amazing, the walking tour of Amsterdam, all stunning and amazing and memorable stuff. The museums there, my God, the Van Goghs, so much stuff. But this was, it was like, I felt transported. It was as yeah. though we'd gone into a, a, a fairy tale kind of part of it. Yeah. Anyway, so I know that's a long answer, but but it's well, a uh, lot of questions. Carol Horger Bull also said, "What was the biggest surprise of the trip?" And I think that answers her questions as, as well. Yeah, and um, it was also my favorite part of the trip. And I, what did what was your most unexpected moment in the trip? Was it Heidelberg or it probably, did you have your I had some. Having looked at some pictures online of Heidelberg, I thought, "Wow, that's going to be a beautiful place." I don't know what the experience is going to be like on the ground. I don't know what the people are going to be like. I'd never been to Germany. Um, I have to say I'm going to go negative and say I was not prepared for the starkness and sterility of Frankfurt, which is where we were staying to or go. Cologne. To go, go to see. Also, Cologne well, Cologne was last minute. I actually wasn't planning for us to stop in Cologne until we decided to make that a drive instead of a yeah. train trip. But, but being in a country that was – a European country that was as heavily bombed as Germany was really eye-opening because Frankfurt looks like it was built yesterday. I mean, there's some stuff that's historic, but it's clearly newer because it was a recreation there's downtown. 
there's a part that the concierge at the hotel was telling us they call the the new old town. Yes, exactly. Because it's where the old town was, and it's a replica of the old town, but it's actually been built pretty recently because it was so completely destroyed yes. during the war. I'll have to say, and I think this is also something that you said in a conversation we had about it that in terms of pleasant surprises, was probably Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. Oh, my God. That was yeah. so much fun. We went to see it. It's been playing 70 years in the West End. Just astonishing. We saw the 29,460th or something like that performance of it. It was and, just astonishingly fun. And as you pointed out, it was not some creaky, ridiculous old play. Which was what I it expected. It was really enjoyable. It was really enjoyable. We had a ball. Yeah. And it was beautiful and very well done. The theater was gorgeous and it was packed. 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 Absolutely. It's a good, we turned, the West End streets were so confounding because it's hard to, they're, they're, none of them are straight and you, as you always say, if you turn right four times, you won't be you're going not back, back where the you way started. you started. Yeah. So, but we turned this corner and there was this theater and because it's been there for so long, they've completely taken over the facade of the theater and in bright neon, it says the mousetrap, 70 years in the West End and it just looks so like we had entered the jazz age. And it was raining yes. and it was London and we were in this wonderful car mm -hmm. and the, the driver was playing this amazing jazz mix called um, Jazz Fruits, I think yes, it was called. He actually sent mix. me the link. It was yes. Sid was his name. Just, yes. oh my God, it was just dreamy. And here we were at this fabulous the old theater and yeah. we had box seats. Right. And so we were practically sitting on the stage and um, looking right in. We couldn't even see one side of the stage at this all. This was my, I, I was having my jet lag and so I hadn't slept well and I thought, God, I hope I can stay awake. And then we enter the box and the railing of the box comes up to about my knee and I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. So I thought, well, this will keep me awake. This will be the, this is the <laughs> caffeine. This is the caffeine I it needed. It did. Yeah. It kept me awake. But it was such an unexpected delight. That's a yeah. really good point. Yeah, yeah, I really had a ball. Because um, a lot of the London experience for me was about finally getting to see things I had always wanted to see, like Westminster Abbey. Right. Windsor was probably, I think we both said, um, the George the Fourth rooms at Windsor Castle are just out of this world. Beyond. That said, they are also recreations because the fire at Windsor destroyed, yeah. started sort of very close that by. Nightmare. And we had a moment of when our tour guide and the Windsor tour guide in that area started talking to each other about the fire and how it started, where I was just in my yeah, glory I could have, listening if, to them. If they'd gotten me a chair, I yeah. could have stayed the rest of the afternoon. It was just fascinating. And I think we gradually had the discovery that the tour guides in Windsor, because there was really one, they weren't technically tour guides. They were just sort of, they were guards, for docents, lack of a better term, or, docents, right. And I thought, surely I have to go to some certification program. And they all admitted, they were all female, the ones we interacted with, that they hadn't had to go to any such program. And most of them had studied up on it after becoming docents at Windsor. And they just had this great because love. Because it's so fascinating. Yeah, and endless, you know, because you go from one era and one room to this is now about the Stuarts and this is now about the, you know, the Windsors. And our guide had these really weird little esoteric questions and they would yeah. get into a discussion about, well, we can go back and actually look up why right. he was, there was this whole, the order of the garter and people get yes. inducted into it and then they get removed from it if they're, yes. they're bad boys or bad girls. Um, Emperor Hirohito got removed got for removed, starting a right. war. They and there was this hall and if they were removed, they were just painted over as a white square in this sort of mosaic of where other people. Where their coat of arms yeah. would have been just became this white coat of arms. And the, yeah. And but then there was a book where you could look up and see when they had been inducted and why they were removed. Right. And he had questions about it. It was just really having people being around people who were that invested in knowing and discussing the history of the place really was yeah. a fascinating extra that I don't know that we would have gotten. We also got to see Queen Mary's dollhouse while we were that there. That was amazing. Which was spectacular. That was amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people asked about food. What were Helen Ryder wants to know what were our favorite meals on the trip. Somebody else, I think, asked what was our top meal. Um, I have to say they were not in London. <laughs> London is not a great it's a country for cuisine. London is the, I always tell the story of how I came home from school one day <laughs> as a kid with a library book called Cuisine of the British Isles. And my father fell over laughing and saying, well, is it just a whole book about roast beef? And sure enough, it was. It was picture after picture and of roast, roast beef. And the roast beef was great. If you had seen Christopher, was it Oxmoor? Hawksmoor. Hawksmoor. If you had seen Christopher at Hawksmoor, you would not have thought he was not having his best meal yeah. of his European. He ate 
five to six pounds of roast beef. I, I think I feel that's me. an exaggeration, but it was I close. Did, I did eat. Huge. I ate a cut that was intended for two people. I ate it all myself. So that those are the facts. Yeah. I won't dispute I them. ate half of mine because it was just, <laughs> I, I wish they had been able to cut them up a little bit. But whatever. Um, it, do, was, it was spectacular. Do you remember who we saw at Hawksmoor? Should we even talk about oh, that? Oh, yeah, we saw. Um, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh right? was eating at Hawksmoor. And I didn't throw a drink on him. I was so thinking I, the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, that's my big accomplishment on yeah. the trip. But, um, yeah, he was there um, because... You know, he didn't. There was nobody's civil rights to take away Absolutely. this week, so he was able to slip away to London. And he decided to have maybe a, he could maybe he got to take away somebody's rights while he was there. Absolutely. Um, okay, so here's a sweeping question. Where it's, no, but where was our best meal then? Oh, oh, all right. I was I didn't answer. I just shit on London cooking. We had high tea and at the Ritz, which was good. But honestly, okay. I liked high tea at the um, the Plaza better. Really, those are fighting words. I know, yeah. but there, it needed to be more French. Oh, oh, the British are going they to needed, come for you. They needed more puff pastry yeah. and uh, chocolate croissant. And it, it needed very... to be, it was it was fine, but like they were bringing around cakes that you could get a slice of. And yeah. it was all lovely. I did not, I have no complaints it. About was it was an experience. But it, it we was had not to do as, it. We had to do it. High tea at the we Ritz. We were at the Reds and they yeah. were serving high tea. But yeah, I would have I would have wanted them to do a little bit. They needed to up their game a little uh, bit there. On my birthday. On on my birthday, to answer the question, uh, in the hotel in Amsterdam <gasps> where we were staying was a Michelin-starred restaurant oh my God. that had a tasting meal, and it was fantastic. It was it called was Floor. Spectacular. F-L-O-R-E, view of the Amstel River. It was gorgeous, and every dish was brought to you by an adorable person. <laughs> Just the most beautiful Dutch and German boys I've ever seen. I'm sounding like some horny old man here, but because you are Blanche, <laughs> it was just. And they come up and they explain it in great detail with perfect English, and they lean in and they're blushing cheeks. And you don't care if it's a squid tail or I don't know what. It's just keep talking to me, kid. Um, but it was actually an extor- extraordinary meal. And then for one of the dishes, they brought us back into the kitchen which we thought was a special thing for my birthday, and then it turns out they do that with every table. You have yeah. one dish in the one kitchen. One of the dishes gets served in the kitchen, and which it is was, fine. It was amazing. That was probably the best it meal. It really was trip. undoubtedly the best meal. Yeah. I mean, we went to a French place the next night and an Indonesian place the next night, and both of those were amazing meals. And yeah. like I say, Hawksmoor was great. We went to one place in London that I won't name that actually was not great. Terrible. Um, Just terrible. But... Um, and then eating at the Ritz was quite lovely. We yeah. had a lot of, of meals there, breakfasts and lunches and yeah. room service. And, and we that one meal at the um, the hotel in Amsterdam when we had finally gotten in from the snow. Yes. That was lovely. But, yeah, that Michelin floor was really amazing. There was this one dish that they served. It was – there was all just little tiny tasting things. So you, the, none of them were huge. And it had 20 – I'm going to say 28 different – fresh vegetables. It was not really, they called it the chef's special. Mm. And there was some sauce on it and there were 28 different fresh vegetables prepared in their own advantageous way combined into this this one, which meant every bite you took on something that small, something that was the size of a teacup or smaller, was a completely new taste. Mm -hmm. It was astonishing. The whole meal was like that. And we also did a uh, because we don't drink, we didn't do a wine. I flood. was just—I'm glad you said that because this is a new thing. I was just reading in the New York Times that that non-alcoholic wine is becoming a thing, because apparently the process by which you can remove alcohol from from stuff is is improving dramatically, and you can make stuff that has the taste of wine if that's what you're after. But we did a juice flight because yeah. we don't drink. And that was like incredible. These there was amazing taste combinations yeah. of things that I would never have thought to put in the same. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, it was really remarkable. And occasionally the taste would be so strong, I would say, no, are you sure there's no alcohol in this? Like, because this tastes like peppery. I, I don't know. And they were like, we are very sure. We have, we denature it, we spin it, we do all this anyway. The other thing that was amazing about that dining experience was every table at the restaurant spoke a different language. And the, the staff just went from table to table changing yeah. languages 
as easily as you know. I it was it was astonishing right. how the facility for language that that people, particularly in Amsterdam, it always makes demonstrated me feel like just really just a subpar gluttonous American that I have never learned to speak another language. That's so spoiled and privileged in my Western Americanness. But there's always Rosetta Stone if I meet somebody cute who speaks another language because that'll get me motivated. But the, you know the good news is they probably speak English. So yeah, okay, yeah. I'll live in my privilege. So Amy Wallace had an interesting question. I would love to know were the people what were the people like friendly or no so like i think that's a question that has to be answered individually in terms of each country obviously because i don't think there's one european way of being but i also think what may not appear as friendly to us is a form of friendliness in another culture that's interesting yeah the dutch are explainers the dutch like to explain things and that is how they try to be helpful. And it can come across as dismissive, as a little mansplaining, if you will. But I think it is it is something in their nature that should not be misconstrued as rudeness because it's, it's not intended to be that way. Um, Just lovely. The British like to tell you how something will make you feel. You will feel this way when we do this. And I'll be like, we'll see about that, sir. We'll just see. <laughs> and... Um, the Germans are um, German. <laughs> I have German friends here in America, and they're very um, – I chose to see their bluntness and their directness as a form of passion. And again, like the sort of Dutch I think that's. A, I think that's well yeah. described. I think that it is, they believe strongly in what what it is that they're telling you about. I think that was – yeah, I you know, I always feel like people react to the way – React to you the way that you 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 bring how they're going to react to you. Yes. And my idea is let's have a good time because why would we do this otherwise? Sure. And so that's almost always my experience of everybody. Mm-hmm. And because people were so amazingly proficient at English, I was able to have pretty lovely interactions with everyone. Certainly right. the, the British. Um, but um, but in in no matter where we were, I was able to have a pretty good time with everybody. I don't know that I had any sort of negative experiences that the the hotel in Frankfurt was run by people who were very young, Mm -hmm. I felt like. And so there was some experience gaps that caused some confusion. Let's go with that. Um, But it was, you know, like boohoo. We had a a very privileged experience overall. We did it up. We treated ourselves. It was a long overdue vacation. It was definitely a treat. We Um, definitely had a ball. Jenna Rowden would like to hear about European architecture and, of course, anything haunted. And she says, welcome home. Thank you, Jenna. And haunted is the the, uh, Heidelberg's loss. That was just astonishing. So talk about let's talk about Heidelberg Schloss because it, it is a palace but it is a or it was a palace but the architecture of it was not a type of architecture I was familiar with. It's like 1500s I think or 1400s. It was struck by lightning twice over the course of history and, and burned down. And attacked by the French. Like attacked- the French really did it in and then they fixed it up and then it was struck by lightning two times and that and then they kind of gave up. And um, by French, you mean Napoleon? The, the I Napoleon think so. Era? Yeah, I, think I think so. But it may have been. But time. it may have been. Uh, I don't know that. But it was yeah. the French um, were ultimately who kind of started the, the the final decline. It was there for a long time. Right. The 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 prince electors, I think, were mm-hmm. who lived there. I didn't really understand. And I've seen some renderings of what it used to look like, which is kind of like oh, right. surprising because. The parts that are missing, once you see the, the, the how it used to look, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. There's a part that they partially reconstructed, um, Victorian era, something like that. Right. In the middle, um, there was great debate about whether or not to do it, and then they kind of gave it up. A lot of it looks like um, sort of a fantasy ruin on some estate or yes, whatever, because right. a lot of it is just a shell of of what it used to be but it, it is on this incredible the walk up there i was like if i can walk up here on my 64th birthday mm-hmm. i'm doing pretty fucking good that's why you only gained two pounds i 
because yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a mountain to climb. Right. It was on the top of a mountain, and you just walk up the side of the mountain. There's no, there's apparently some funicular, but it was closed. But it was a sloping cobblestone walkway that we were on. Yeah. it was a slope. I mean, you it was and a, there it was, was a railing, and you could you needed to grab it occasionally. Yeah, it yeah. was an intense walk. Right, and then. Christopher found this amazing staircase to walk back right. down that led us through all these other buildings that I'm like I want to go back and find out what all, a lot more about the stuff that I saw yeah. while I was there but it was we weren't there overnight or we weren't there after the sunset and I imagine that's where you would get your haunting vibes because the streets are narrow and they're cobblestone all the buildings are sort of orangish that's how I remember it right the similar architecture flat roofs tile ro- tile roofs I think on some of them and just a sort of sandstony color. I get when there are leaves on the trees, it must be extraordinary. There were no leaves on the trees. It just was still sort of stunning. pre-spring when just, we were yeah, there. Yeah, it was very yeah. – it, it's a very small town, and then the old town is really cobblestones and, and squares and those – yeah, the, the kind of traditional sort of – it's kind of a cross between Tudor and Dutch yeah. kind of feel to it. Those These very squat sort of buildings with the kind of – Rounded roof, not quite that Dutch barn look, but leaning in that direction, kind of like a mansard with a Dutch barn roof on the top of it Mm -hmm. kind of look to it. My parents actually moved there um, after... after I was born, because they needed yeah. more space, and so they, from Mannheim to Heidelberg. Yes, and yeah. so I actually lived there for a time. I had no idea. Nobody knows the address. My parents are lovely, but they're very old, and we're not even sure they still know that they mm. actually lived in Germany. So mm. they were not helpful in this journey. I should have asked sooner. Clearly, um, mm. but um, so we didn't get a specific address. But I got. I remember seeing pictures, and I remember being told about Lottie Glarnish, the um, mm. the housekeeper who called me Ingle and mm-hmm. took care of me. Or maybe it was her house that we were living in. I'm not sure. Interesting. Again, not really clear of who to ask. But um, architecturally, you know, London is such an astonishing collection, and seeing the the combination of things like Windsor and Westminster yeah. and the Tower of London and that the scope of it mm-hmm. is so astonishing right cheek by jowl with all of these spectacular gleaming cutting edge modern yeah um buildings it was it was pretty astonishing of the, the Amsterdam was more the traditional old city throughout but we when we took the boat trip, we actually got to see, oh, there's actually a real modern city part of this town. Right. It's the capital. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but, so, yes. this month, okay, we talked briefly about it. We talked about the fact in the clip that we recorded in Amsterdam that we went to the Van Gogh Museum. So we're doing a theme for the rest of the month. April showers bring Van Gogh's sunflowers or flowers? Oh, Van Gogh's flowers because there's Gogh's also flowers. the irises as You're well right. as the sunflowers. So. so True Crime TV Club returns next week. Um we are doing a, we're serving up a special that is available here in the US on YouTube free on the Real Stories YouTube channel which we have visited before it is called the fake van gogh paintings question mark and so if you want to watch it ahead of time you can again standard disclaimer that is not a requirement of true crime tv club we're going to serve it up for you in enough detail that you'll feel like you did watch it although it's pretty easy to watch it cuz it's just on YouTube um so that's next week and then Very exciting. we're going to do a movie about Van Gogh, which is sort of like a true crime movie time, but not really. It's more of a biopic about Van Gogh's life starring William Willem Dafoe. Just to give you some sort of background on, right. on Van Gogh. But yeah, we were really, the, the whole reason we were in Amsterdam was because Christopher had gone to see um, as a child with his mom and dad, had gone to see the Van Gogh Museum. That's correct. And to answer an earlier question, somebody had asked us, had it changed since we'd been last? I didn't notice any perceptible changes in Amsterdam since 1988, other than the redesign of the hotel. We stayed in the same hotel, and it had been renovated, but the exterior of the city looked almost exactly the same. Which I it think was they, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> they do the, make the effort to, keep, yeah. to preserve those kinds of things. And apparently they had just opened a new wing of the 
of the Van Gogh Museum when you all went. So maybe that that's, was the reason that you guys. That's what I was originally saying. It was the museum that opened, and then we figured out the museum opened in 71 or even in the yeah. 60s. So I think there was a new wing, and I think that is touched on in the special we're going to talk about next week. Yes. Good spotting, Eric Sharkwin. Yes. And then there's another Van Gogh. There's a Van Gogh heist story we're going to talk about at the end of the month. So it, April showers bring Van Gogh flowers. It's, it's uh, underway. It's, it's the Van Gogh um Month of of April here at uh, so a final TDBS. question a final question are we gonna say Van Gogh or are we gonna say Van Gogh which is apparently how it's really pronounced I'm Dutch. gonna say Van Gogh because yeah. I just feel like I'm it's an affront for me to try and pronounce <laughs> um, the name correctly and people will know who I'm talking about right. and if they want to say Van Gogh um, <laughs> they can but I'm not going to insult. Van Gogh Dutch. by getting it more wrong than I already am. I think that's a good We're plan. We're going to accept that I'm getting it wrong and I'm just going to say my Anglicanized version of it. And, uh, Absolutely. and there are people who say it better than I do. Indeed. So until next week, we're going to leave you now with more sounds of the Mint Tower playing over the over uh, what's the name of the square? The, I'm not going again. I'm not going to pronounce it either because it's too Dutch, and I don't want to insult the language. <laughs> so the Mint Tower across from our hotel in Amsterdam will be the sounds that we leave you with. I'm Christopher Rice, and I'm Eric Shawquin, and you've been listening to TDPS presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.